Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for this new year. Thank you, Lord, for life. Thank you for preserving our life until this moment. And Lord, you always have a reason. Help us to understand what that reason is today. Help us to understand your guidance and your leading in each of our lives. And more than anything else, this evening as we're about to open your word, help us to understand your scriptures. Speak to us, O Lord, with your Holy Spirit. Guide us that we might not just understand this story, but we might see its meaning to us this evening. Guide us and bless us, O Lord, now we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to start in John chapter 4 this evening. John chapter 4. And uh, we've been going through some stories in John already. We looked last week at John chapter 3. And now we're continuing in John chapter 4, starting in verse 4. And he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Jesus, he's passing through Samaria, and he sits down at a well in a city or next to a city in Samaria. It's called Sychar. Now, what's very interesting is how the Jews viewed the Samaritans. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 5, look at what the Bible says. Jesus, he sends forth the twelve and he commanded them saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles and into any city of the Samaritans, enter ye not. So even Jesus, he classifies and puts the the Gentiles with the Samaritans. It's as if they're not a part of God's people. But when you read into the Bible, and especially the Old Testament, you will find that the Samaritans, they were a part of God's people, the people of Samaria. In 2 Kings 17, 29, look at what happened to the Samaritans. Howbeit every nation made gods of their own, and put them in the houses of the high places which the Samaritans had made, every nation in their cities wherein they dwelt. What do we understand about the Samaritans here? They are idol worshippers. They were actually part of Israel, but they apostatized. They fell away from God, and they went and made idols and started worshipping them and bowed down to them. They eventually broke off from the nation of Israel. And then one more in John chapter 8 and verse 48. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and has a devil? The Jews, they really despised the Samaritans that they, when they called you a Samaritan, it's as if you were demon-possessed. This is how far and how despised they looked upon the Samaritans or the people of Samaria. And this is the town and the country that Jesus is coming to and he's sitting by the well in Sychar. And what happens next? Let's continue in John chapter 4, verse 7. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, 
which am a woman of Samaria. For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. So this woman that is from this town in Samaria, she comes out. And do you remember what time it was when Jesus sat by the well? It said it was the sixth hour of the day. It wasn't 6 a.m. The Jews, they reckon time starting from 6 a.m. So you just added six hours on top of 6 a.m. It was 12 p.m. It was the hottest or coming to the hottest time of the day, a time that usually people would avoid to come out and draw water from the well. Why? It was too hot. They would either come in the morning or in the evening. And so she, she's coming out at this time because she's trying to avoid people. Even without reading the woman's heart, Jesus knows that there is something wrong with this woman just from the time the time that she's coming out to draw water from the well. So by asking help for water, Jesus disarms her prejudice because she's the one that replies, why are you talking to me? I'm a woman of Samaria. The Samaritans don't have any dealings with the people that are of Israel or that are Jews. So even though the Jewish people, they don't have any dealings with them, Jesus, he's asking for water. He shows that he's not part of those bigoted people that would just separate themselves just because of the race. He's trying to find a way to be able to help this woman and he starts out by asking help from her. And he's not trying to pretend. He really can't get water from the well and he's thirsty and he doesn't have a bucket. He doesn't have anything to pull, put the bucket down and draw it and bring it back up. So he's not pretending. But now that he's got her attention, look at what Jesus continues with. John chapter 4, verse 10. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. So right away, Jesus jumps into a spiritual application. He talks about living water. But the woman doesn't get it yet. Look at how she replies. Verse 11, The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? She doesn't get it. She doesn't understand that this living water that Jesus is talking about is a spiritual application. But what she's what is interesting is she refers to Jacob as their father. But I thought Jacob was the father of the Jews, right? Remember, the Samaritans were people that had apostatized, had fallen away from the truth. And not just that, um, because of their sins, God allowed them to be conquered by idolatrous nations. And eventually they would intermingle with all these heathen people. They would intermarry and it would eventually contaminate their own beliefs and their religion until they themselves began to worship idols. But this woman of Samaria, she knows her heritage. She knows that the father Jacob was their father as well. And so she, she doesn't get it yet. How can you get this water? You don't have anything to draw with. The well is deep. You can't give me this living water. But look how Jesus responds. Verse 13. 
Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. So Jesus now really has her attention. He says, the water that I give you, you'll never thirst again. It'll be in you, a well of water springing up to everlasting life. And she's like, I want that water. I never want to thirst again. Why? Because she didn't ever want to come to this well again. She was coming in the middle of the day. She was trying to avoid people. She came on purpose at a time when no one would be coming out to draw water, where there'll be no eyes that would see her and that possibly condemn her. Now it seemed that this man, Jesus, was offering her a solution that she had been searching for, for a long time. But before Jesus can give her this water, before he can quench that thirst and give her this living water, he had to help her to see her real need. Not just something temporal as in drinking water, and because she was thirsty, so she wouldn't have to come to the well and draw again, but truly this living water, it had to be something that she realized she would need and hold on to, just like thirst itself. But the water that Jesus was referring to here was not literal, but obviously himself. How do we know? Look, when you go back to verse 14 and you read it there, it says, But that water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into what? Everlasting life. This living water gives everlasting life. And last week when we studied about Nicodemus in John chapter 3, we looked at a verse that is the most famous verse in all of the Bible and in all of Christendom. What was it? John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only beloved Son, that whosoever believeth in Him, in His Son, in Jesus Christ, should not perish, but have everlasting life. Look, friends, if we believe in Jesus Christ, the Bible says we will have everlasting life. He says in John 4 that if you drink this water, you will also have everlasting life. The, 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 the illustration is clear that water is referring to Jesus Christ. But before the woman is willing to drink, you have to show their need. They have to understand their need. And look, you, you can lead a camel to a drinking trough, but you can't force the camel to drink. You know, so it is with Christians. We can surround ourselves with all the perfect ingredients to grow in Christ. But unless they see that need, they will never appreciate the surroundings that they are in. Many people, they go throughout their lives without ever realizing how much in need they are of Christ. You can have Jesus, the preacher, standing there every week preaching powerful, convicting messages, but unless you see the need, unless your eyes are opened, you won't realize the preciousness, preciousness of the truth that you have. And so Jesus, he has to help this woman see 
her need. You know, many of us, we go throughout life without realizing it. Why? The rich man surrounded by his riches. The athlete at the peak of his powers. The musician selling millions of albums. The student with photographic memory with PhD when you're 17 years old. You know, unless we realize our need, we will never drink. But what gets in our way is our self-sufficiency, is it, it, it helps us, well, it doesn't help us. It, it, it how, how do you say that? It stops us from realizing, realizing our need because we think that we did it all ourselves. We think that we didn't need Christ's help and we don't realize it. So we come to church not in need, but as if we're doing Christ a favor by turning up. We're doing Christ a favor by putting money into the money bag to support the church, to support the workers, to support the pastor, to keep the church open. We think that we're doing Christ a favor in, instead of realizing that I need to come to church to be saved. Not because church saves me, but because there's a message there that will teach me about Jesus and about the truth and help me to believe. And so that's why the Bible says in Matthew and chapter 19, verse 23, Verily I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. You know, friends, it's only when life knocks you low, only when we're given a bitter pill to swallow, that our eyes seem to be more discerning and open to spiritual things. Our ears become then more attentive to the voice of the Holy Spirit because we're more desperate. We become more willing. With Nicodemus, he was blind to his own condition. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was a ruler of the Jews and Jesus had to shake him awake. He, thus, a startling statement that Christ had to make to a, a, a religious leader to tell him you couldn't even see the kingdom of heaven. But with this woman... Christ knows that she's broken, she's dejected, she's come to the well in the middle of the day. But still, he has to help her see that he is the answer to all her problems. You know, even a poor person, even a person that's dejected and downtrodden can turn to the wrong things for their solution. And we do this all the time, drugs, drinking, uh, wrong type of relationship to get into, um, all sorts of things. Even traveling can be something that we try to use to, to drown our sorrows or make us forget our problems. But Christ is the only true answer. And so what does he do? Let's continue. John four sixteen through 18. Jesus saith unto her, Go, call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that saidest thou truly. Jesus now calls her, tells her to call her husband. And he focuses on the main reason why she is out here in the middle of the day, drawing water. She quickly replies that she has none. And Christ replies candidly, yeah, I know you have none. In fact, you've had five, and the one that you're now with is not even your husband. 
Jesus lays bare before her her own life, holding up the mirror, seeing her life, looking right back at her. Was she really that infamous? Maybe she was thinking. Had someone told her? Or him, rather? How does this stranger know the intricate details of my life? She had been trying to hide her life. That's the reason why she came out in the middle of the day, to be unseen, to be unnoticed, because she was famous for all the wrong reasons. She was trying to hide that problem that she was in. So just like Nicodemus, Christ had to get her attention. A straight fact about the hidden secrets of her life. We don't know what the hidden secrets were of, or hidden sins of Nicodemus's life was, but we know that he could not see the kingdom of heaven in the state that he came to Christ. And Nicodemus was so shocked when Jesus told him, hey, you got to be born again or else you can't enter into the kingdom of heaven. He was so shocked that he answered with a ridiculous reply. Oh, how, how can I go back into my mother's womb and be born again, right? But when Jesus gives this shocking statement to, to this woman of Samaria and, and shows her that he knows the hidden secrets and past of her life, she actually replies in a pretty interesting way. Look at what it says in John four nineteen. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. She doesn't come up with a silly response, a ridiculous reply, she has a bit more perception than what Nicodemus had. And she begins to see that the person that is sitting there before her is more than just a man. That is more than just any ordinary human being. But even as she pauses and thinks about that, she tries to stop Jesus from digging deeper into her life. And so she tries to change the topic Let's continue. Verse 20. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And ye say that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. She tries to divert the attention even though she realizes, hmm, are you a prophet? And then she tries to talk about worship. But she says what? Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And this mountain was not a mountain in Jerusalem, in, uh, uh, in Israel but it was in Samaria. And this mountain was where the Samaritans worshipped and this where they set up their rival temple. It was the worship of the Samaritans versus the worship of the Jews. That's why she said, if you look back there, our fathers worshipped in this mountain in Samaria. And you say that in Jerusalem is a place that men ought to worship. So she, she's pitting two religions, two races against each other, but Christ is ready. He's been... He's been training for this moment. He's been waiting for moments like this where he knows when he touches the hidden secrets of people's lives that they want to leave hidden, that they'll try to divert his attention. And he comes back and he uses what she talks about in worship and brings it back to help to solve her problem. Let's continue, shall we? It's very interesting how he, here he replies. John 4, 21 and 24. Look at this. Jesus saith unto her woman, Believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship what ye know not, uh, know not what. 
We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Friends, what is the essence of Christ's reply? By replying this way, first, he shows that the Jews had the right understanding of worship. We know not what we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. That's what he's saying. Um, it's not that you'll be saved because you're a Jew, but the way for salvation would come through the Jewish nation. That Messiah would be the one that will be revealed, not as in the Samaritans, but in the Jewish nation, in the Israelite nation, which. Of course, in a sense, he was pointing to himself. However, even though he's a Jew, Christ states ultimately that true worship has got nothing to do with a place or even a race. That's why he said at the beginning, if you remember this, woman, believe me, the hour cometh, verse 21, when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. So he's like, lady, when it comes to true worship, Even Jerusalem is not where true worship is found. Just like Nicodemus, when Christ stated, you must be born again, he now says to this woman that true worship is not by seeking a holy mountain or a sacred temple. Religion is not confined to external forms and ceremonies because this woman was just as lost as Nicodemus was. But just as Nicodemus needed to be born of water and what? The Spirit. So this woman of Samaria had to understand that true worship was not just truth, but it was also Spirit. Those that worship Him must worship Him in Spirit and in truth, not just simply truth, And not to say that truth is bad or not good, but just as being born of water is really important, they miss the other half of the equation. Truth is important, but the working of the Holy Spirit in the heart, transforming the character, is that which brings the life into harmony with the life of Christ. The man that she was now with was not her husband. Gently, Jesus was showing her a better life. And even though she diverted the topic, Christ used that topic and knew how to bring it around and back for an application that would be close to her heart. He was helping her to see that the living water whilst showing her that he didn't accept what she was doing and had to change. And he was the only one that could help her to change. But the power would not come from just truth or a temple, but it was truth and the Spirit. You know, friends, if we want to have a different life, we need to experience true worship as well. We must be born of the Spirit, and we looked at that last week, but having a theory of the truth is not enough. That's just the form of religion, but you deny the power thereof. Look, truth is really important. Truth in John sets us free. That truth is Jesus Christ. 
And the truth is found in the scriptures. And the truth is really needed to show us how to live a better life, to be like Christ, what, what it means to be loving. We might have our own ideas of what love is, but Jesus is love. God is love. He showed us what love was. You see? So when you have truth, it also shows us where we've fallen short. And many times, majority of the time, really, it does that for all of us because all of us have fallen short of God's glory, of His truth, of His character. And so truth is needed to bring conviction of sin. But just to be convicted that you're wrong is not enough. Do you know that? To remain in that sort of conviction and never change is to remain in a condemnatory state. It's just... This religion is just a burden then because you know you're wrong. But knowing you're wrong, it doesn't help you. It just burdens you with guilt. And that's what worship in truth only does. It's not that truth is bad, friends. You've got to remember this, right? Truth brings conviction of sin. Truth shows us our life versus the life that Christ wants us to live. Our beliefs versus the belief and faith that we should have. Truth sets the foundation, but truth that only remains at truth is something that makes the Christian carry a very heavy burden because we will never be able to live up to it. We need to worship in spirit as well. True worship, spirit, and truth. And allowing the Holy Spirit to work in your life is as simple as getting on your knees as we looked at last week. Right now, where you are, closing your eyes and asking God for the Holy Spirit to help you to be born again, to change, to have the power to live a life in Christ. But before all of that happens, you have to see your need, right? You have to see your need. And I'm afraid that many people just think that they are not wrong. Some are just plain fighting against the Ten Commandments, fighting against the Sabbath, taking God's name in vain, dishonoring their parents. Others, they don't think it's wrong to be in an unequally yoked relationship. Still others, they struggle with dress standards and more. They struggle even with a diet. You know, do you see your need? Or if you come to this point where you're fighting against the truth and you, you, you want to silence your conviction by telling yourself that it's, it's okay to keep doing this even though, right? And we point at the scriptures, yeah, I see that, but... And we try to, well, well Jesus never lived in the 21st century, right? And so we, we have all sorts of excuses and we have all sorts of reasons as to why we don't have to obey the truth. But really, the real problem is what? It's we're missing the Spirit. We have the truth. It convicts us. It shows us that we're wrong. It shows us where we need to change. It tells us where we need to come up higher. And if we don't have the Spirit, we know that we're fighting a losing battle. So in order to silence conviction, We have to change the truth. And maybe you just branded the messenger wherever you go nowadays as a heretic, bearing a false message. But friends, have you tested all the Bible texts that people have showed you in regards to the truth that you see? Maybe you're sitting here even this evening saying to yourself, ah, 
Every time Ben preaches, he's got to preach about the Sabbath or he's got to talk about the diet. He's got to talk about the Ten Commandments. But I'm asking you this evening, friends, is it truth? And some of you, you're convicted. You're worshipping in truth. But the reason why you're not applying it is because you're not worshipping in the Spirit. Therein lies the biggest challenge to all of us. If worshipping in truth was enough, Jesus would have come a long time ago. Why? When you read the Bible, it is clear. There's no two ways about it. The Ten Commandments, there's no misunderstanding that. It is clear. But at the end of the day, it's not just about truth, is it? It isn't. And uh, I'm not even asking you this evening whether you're, you're, you're ready. Are you ready to change? You know, maybe some of you like to make that excuse sometimes. I, I've read the truth, but not right now. You know, when people tell me that, I, I, I don't understand what that means. How do you know? Not right now. Now is not the time for what? Is it because you need a bit more time to break the Sabbath and break the Ten Commandments and do what you know is not according to the Bible, but that's why we say it? But friends, I, I don't know. I don't know. I just know that God can help you to be ready now if you want to, if you're willing to believe, if you're willing to accept it. The question that I'm asking you this evening is, number one, have you seen the truth? Is it truth? What you've heard for those that have been in DAC and SAC for the past three years, for the past seven years that have been with you? Have you gone back and checked every sermon that I've preached to make sure that I've not got it wrong? Hey, there, there are times that I've gotten wrong. And even during these online messages, people message me after, hey, I think you got the wrong text here. It happens. But you've got to go back and check it. And if you've checked it and truth is your foundation, then the next step is worship in spirit. Look, let's finish off this conversation that Christ is having with this woman. We're going to come back to this, okay? Let's continue first. John 4, 25, 26. The woman said unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. And then finally, Jesus says to her, I that speak unto thee am he. You know, she's been looking for the Messiah. And she knows that the man that's sitting there is more than just any ordinary man. But now Jesus gives her an opportunity to exercise her faith. And he reveals himself as the Messiah. And look at how she reacts. Verse 28, the woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city. She forgot the whole reason as to why she came out in the first place, trying to avoid people. And now she's going into the city to do what? She says to the men, Come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? She became one of the greatest evangelists to the Samaritans. Just a few moments before, she, she's avoiding people and now she's going into town unashamed, unabashed telling everybody about Jesus, about the Messiah that she met at the well. 
She's got courage all of a sudden. She's ready to change. She leaves behind her guilt. She leaves behind that water pot that reminds her of the burden that she was carrying and she goes off with a heart free. She's found the Messiah. Finally, finally, she is able to change. The Messiah came, read her heart, and still accepted her. And she tells the whole town about Christ, about the Messiah. Just a few, just a few moments before, she wasn't ready. And this conversation just sparked a fire in her heart. And off she goes. You know, let's make sure that we don't put changes in our lives down to emotions. You know, I've seen people, they, they, they say that, oh, my, my son went to a youth conference and he came back and he's ready to give up his life and serve God. He wants to be a pastor. My daughter went off to this other youth conference and she comes back and she doesn't want to study anymore. She wants to go to Bible school. And, you know, we think they're making emotional decisions. But friends, if you make an emotional decision to go and serve Christ, praise the Lord. But I'm telling you, it is the Spirit of God that is moving upon this person's heart. It's just we don't realize it. It's hidden deep within. This woman, it wasn't just a sudden like that. The Holy Spirit was working upon her heart. And I'm sure that the Holy Spirit is working upon someone's heart even this, uh, this evening as we're, we're watching and we're studying and we're reading together. Prompting you. Wooing you to make a decided change in your life. To believe the words that, that Christ has been saying to you. But it's not enough just to know the truth. Knowing about the truth does not set us free. You must have the truth and the Spirit. It's not emotions. It's the Spirit of God working upon the heart. This woman, she went and became the greatest evangelist to her hometown. She was infamous, but now she became famous for all the right reasons. Look what it says. John 4, 39 to 42. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him. For the saying of the woman which testified, he told me all that ever I did. So when the Samaritans would come out unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them. And he abode there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. And said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Many more would believe, not because of the woman's word, but because they came and heard Christ for themselves. Unlike Nicodemus, whom we studied in John 3 last week, this woman was willing and ready to respond right away. We don't know what happened to Nicodemus. But she didn't respond because she was rash. But it's because the Holy Spirit had been preparing her heart and helped her to be ready for this moment. Friends, have you had this sort of encounter with Jesus before? Or maybe you're just struggling with the truth. Maybe you have been listening to my preaching a lot and you know that I talk about diet a lot and the Sabbath a lot and God's law a lot and, you know, seeming standards. And maybe some of you have branded me a pharisaical preacher, preacher that just talks about standards all the time and working your way to heaven. Oh no, friends, I don't believe in that. 
Do I believe we need a change? Yes. But I believe that the only way we can ever change is unless you are willing to ask God for his Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 5 and verse 32 says this, And we are his witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. You see, friends, God gives us the Holy Spirit so we can obey. He gives us the Holy Spirit to give us the power to put into practice the convictions that God has laid upon our heart from the truth. The Holy Spirit is the one that strengthens us. The Holy Spirit is the one that empowers us. And so if all you've been having is just Bible study, I'm telling you it's not enough. Oh, I love the truth. And you got to read the Bible, friends. you got to spend time in it. We focus on it. Sabbath school, during our worship service, here on the Friday night in cell group, on a Saturday night when the young people share, they always have a Bible text. Truth is important. But it's not enough. You need the Holy Spirit this evening. 2021 is here. It's time to take a more bold stand for Jesus and for the truth. What are you waiting for? Jesus, he's waiting for you to respond tonight. And I'm sure there are many here that have heard enough truth. You've studied enough already. You're not sitting there not obeying because you're misinformed or because you misunderstand. And maybe you've even heard the story about the Samaritan woman many times, but how have you responded? That's my question. Have you accepted what you heard? Believe and ask the Holy Spirit to change you as well? To align yourself with the truth that you've been studying? Christ is ready. Now He's waiting for you to respond today. He wants you to worship Him in truth and also in spirit. You know, friends, I want to ask you to bow your heads with me as I pray. But I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit would touch your hearts in a mighty way this evening, like He has never touched you before. Some of you, you've gotten used to being in a pandemic already. You know, in March, when I first started up these online online studies, uh, I saw many people were starting to watch and the viewership increase and increase and increase. And then I think we get to this point. It's not a saturation point or a tipping point. It's just we get to this point where people are used to being in a pandemic and being in lockdown. And the urgency and, and, and the way that they see life is not so urgent anymore. The urgency dies away. And so we get to this point, it's like, ah, oh, and then it's not so bad. We got this under control and life has just become normal during this pandemic. And uh, you don't see the importance of praying anymore, asking God for the Holy Spirit and the application of truth. It's not just about uh, going to church. It's not even just about reading the Bible. It's about being like Jesus. And there is a group that's 
focus just on, hey, why do I need to read the Bible? I just I pray for the Holy Spirit. That's not enough because the Holy Spirit is, changes you. But into what? It's the Bible that tells us what Jesus is like. And so there's two groups. But the group that I find missing a lot is the one that learns to worship in spirit. That is asking God for strength, for power, to obey Him, to live like Him, to dress like Him, to to walk like Him, to eat like Him, to be like Jesus through and through. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. And unless we have this, we will come infinitely short of heaven. And then only way to quieten our conscience, we've got to change the truth. You've got to start disagreeing with the Bible. You've got to find that one text that just, it's so ambiguous that you can just use it for the wrong as well. And that's what worshipping only in truth does. But tonight, if there's ever a time we need the Holy Spirit, it's today. And so I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. And if you see the need in your life, pray earnestly with me in your hearts. Let's bow our heads, shall we? Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, forgive me for just having a form, but having no true godliness. Lord, please, I know I've come so short of your character so many times, and I've tried to do it in my own strength. I've, you know, we sit there and we read the Bible thinking, yes, God, you're filling us with your truth. But Father, unless your Holy Spirit comes in, the truth will just be words that will condemn us all the time. We will never be able to live up to that standard. We need Jesus. We need your spirit today, Lord. Please help us. Lord, you promised that if we ask, you are more than happy to give us the Holy Spirit, not on condition because we have obeyed, but to give us the Spirit so we can obey. So, Father, please help us to place our will, our mind, our heart on the side of right this evening and not just to make this New Year's resolution to be a better person, to be more like Jesus, but, Lord, you have to be the one that will fulfill that desire as well. Please, give us your Holy Spirit. Help us to stop struggling with the truth. Change our our desires, our, our hearts and our minds. Change us from the inside, Lord, to the out. And Father, may this year be a year that all of us begin to pray more earnestly for your Holy Spirit to change us. You know our struggles. You know where we hate the truth. You know where our lives are just miserably failing every week. May this week be different. Give us rest this Sabbath day but empower us to live for you as we seek for your spirit each and every day, just like we seek for your truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse. 
a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.